You're listening to Heart Food Podcast, episode 95. Welcome to Heart Food. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo Ortega. This is a weekly podcast for introverted, super sensitive, smart, and deeply ambitious women who have a call in their heart that they deserve more. My goal is to give you more strength, freedom, confidence, and purpose in your life through the four different avenues that this podcast will be covering. Mindset, nutrition, health, movement, and cooking, business, sales, communication, and entrepreneurship, and lastly, spirituality and psychology. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and reach out to me at any time at Ashley K. Pardo. Share this podcast with others who you think might love it. And please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Heart Food Podcast. This episode is one that is near and dear to my heart. I realized that I had not done an episode yet on what it was like to teach your children about eating and nutrition, and most importantly, the mindset around their nutrition and their bodies. I'm so grateful that nowadays there's a lot more awareness around this. I see a ton of new Instagram accounts popping up around this, how to feed children, how to talk to your kids about their bodies, what we should do if we are concerned about their health. And all of you, most of you, I hope, are familiar with my story where, and if you are not, I encourage you to listen to episode two of this podcast with my mom, Loretta, because my mom and I speak openly in that episode about what it was like to raise girls when you had a full-time job and you were busy and you were running a house. And, you know, this is why I think it's important that there's so much more awareness around this nowadays, because I really don't think that there was a lot of awareness around this back then. Uh, I mean, 30 years ago, I'm 34 now, but you know, 30 years ago, even 25 years ago about like nobody gives you a book at the beginning. And this is what my mom said in the episode. Nobody gives you a book on how to speak about this stuff and how to speak openly to your children about this. And I think that our parents do our best, especially, you know, I think the, the relationship between mother and daughter can be very um, telling for a daughter's future, especially around food. And I speak to so many of you who tell me that your relationship with your mom perhaps really colored your relationship with food going forward. And that was my story. And it is my story. And again, please listen to episode two with my mom to hear about that because We have since been able to speak very openly about it, uh, really just having a tumultuous time together growing up, really butting heads. And I, you know, you all know sort of how I am very spiritual. And I do think that my character and my mom's character were put together as mother daughter so we could teach each other stuff. And I don't want to say I was a difficult child, but I definitely challenged my mom and and she definitely challenged me. And it really wasn't until I was in my late 20s, probably, or mid 20s, that I felt like she was my best friend and really on my side. 
And not to say that our relationship is perfect now, of course, like I think as parents, they can trigger us sometimes. Nobody is your biggest trigger, like a parent or a sibling or a loved one or a spouse or significant other. Um, But we have really gotten to a point where we never talk about this stuff anymore, really. Yes, we talk about food. We talk about recipes and things like that. But we got to a point where we just don't talk about bodies anymore, really. Like, definitely not negatively. Um, If you listen to that episode, you'll hear how I set a boundary with my mom. I can't remember when it was, but I think it was when I was in college, maybe 18 or 19, where I said, you are never allowed to speak about my body again. And ever since that point, she never said anything again, literally 15 or 18 years ago, never anything negative about my body. And that was a boundary that I had to set. So this episode is for maybe adults now who maybe went through something tumultuous with their parents when it came to how their parents fed them or parents who have children nowadays and maybe don't know how to navigate this. Now, there are entire courses around this, huge Instagram accounts. I will put the Instagram accounts that I like in the show notes. You can follow my good friend, Christy Ortega at Beyond Speech and Feeding Therapy. I'm going to link her Instagram account in the bio. I mean, in the show notes, you can go to her Instagram bio to find out how to work with her. And I will have Christy on at some point. But there's a lot of psychological stuff around this. There's a lot of practical stuff around this. So I hope that this episode really gives you an insight into all of this. Most of what I have learned has come from the work of Ellen Satter, who I will also put in the show notes. She is somebody who has a variety of books on this topic. And I do think that, again, thinking of maybe our parents, if you're in your 30s nowadays, thinking of when our parents were young parents, there really wasn't a lot available back then, Um, at least in the mainstream, definitely not about like emotions or potential eating disorders. There just wasn't a lot of literature back then. So I just want to send out a message of love and compassion to those of you who perhaps are struggling with this because it is such a huge struggle. But After having gone through what I've been through and having come out on the other side, I know that I am who I am because of the resiliency that I developed through those struggles and learning to sort of be independent and find my voice. And it was all part of my path. I honestly would not be here today speaking to all of you had I not, have I, had I not, I'm getting emotional now, I'm stuttering because of that. Had I not gone through all of the things that I have been through in my life in regards to food and and struggles and just such low self-worth and and self-esteem, I would not be here now having this podcast and helping, you know, the hundreds of you that listen every single week. I wouldn't be passionate about nutrition and mindset and even the other things I do like business. It's all evolved into something else, but I know that the reason I'm here is because of those past struggles. So don't discount your struggle. You can do something to change your life. You can get the help that you need, but I hope that this episode provides you a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of healing. Reach out to me if you have any other questions 
Also, I am still offering nutrition audits this week. I have spoken to dozens of you already, and it's been so much fun. I am going to be announcing something in the next couple of weeks. So in regards to working with me one-on-one in nutrition, so stay tuned for that because I am super excited. It is not something I've ever done before and I'm putting the finishing touches on it this week. So just stay tuned. That's what I've been working on behind the scenes. So if you would like your, your free nutrition audit, which is basically just talking to me on the phone for 20 minutes, really just strategizing with you. We spend typically the first 10 minutes talking about what you most want to get on the get from the call and the things that you need help with the most, what you're currently doing with your nutrition. And then the last 10 minutes will, will be spent with me really just coaching you and giving you one to two simple dial movers that are going to help you the most going forward. So I've loved speaking to all of you and I am a real person. <laughs> like, I think that obviously, you know, that like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like a robot, obviously, but when you see my Instagram and you see my newsletter and stuff, I don't want you to think like, oh, I can't message her or contact her. Um, Many of you do reach out to me and I love hearing from you and I'm always open to hearing from you. So just send me a message, say, hey, I love to connect with you. I always reply to your messages and, you know, helping you guys is what I do. And it's my favorite part of my job. So don't hesitate to reach out. Don't hesitate to schedule that call with me. I would love to talk to you. So let's get right into this presentation or this this, uh, podcast about, um, you know, cooking with and feeding children. We're also going to be talking about how to include children in your... See, you guys, I got emotional (laughs) earlier now, and now I'm like having trouble speaking, but we're just going to continue rolling with it. I'm also going to be talking about how we can involve kids with our cooking, because as many of you know, I spent years working with children in their schools every single week and cooking for them and helping feed them. So that was a big part of my story. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today because involving them in cooking is a great way to help them eat. So we're going to talk about why it's important to prioritize this, why nutrition matters, the fundamentals of feeding your children, what happens when you practice restricted feeding on your kids, movement, cooking with kids, cooking tools that you can help them with or that you can offer to them that will help them get more involved and the best foods and techniques for kids. And full disclosure, this is actually a bonus presentation or the content here is a bonus presentation that I included for Quick Fire Kitchen that I did a full on slide presentation on, but I thought I would record it in audio format for the podcast because I do think that it is so valuable. So We know that nutrition matters for everyone, but it really matters as babies, children, and adolescents are in their developmental stages. And as parents, we have the responsibility to raise healthy children, both physiologically and psychologically, so they can lead joyous and fulfilling lives. Also, full disclosure, I do not have children. I'm not a parent. I actually don't know if I want to have kids. That's something that I go back and forth with a lot. That isn't this episode though. So that's just letting you know that from the beginning. So what I'm going to be talking about now isn't really widespread information and sometimes doing our best, quote unquote, just isn't enough and we need to make the effort to be educated about it. So 
the stuff that we're going to be talking about here is not just information that's out there. And it's not always the natural thing that we feel like doing, which is which is why it's important to educate yourself about it. So eating disorders are rampant, especially for young young women and girls, and it's becoming more prevalent in our increasingly digital world, rife with comparison and a skewed ideal body. So especially with, you know, social media, and we see a lot of girls just comparing themselves to these unrealistic ideals that, you know, are not, we just don't know if we see a body, if we're meant for that body. And the comparison that that girls do they see that and then they automatically think, oh my gosh, if I don't have that body, then there must be something wrong with me. And that was me for most of, for all of my life, especially as a young girl, because I was always sort of athletic. I was, I just had a thicker body. Like my body, my body shape is not meant to be real thin. So I always had extra meat and maybe the girls that were in my classes or whatever, were just a lot smaller and thinner. I also went through puberty earlier. So that caused me a ton of shame. So I wish I had known that too. So the diet industry is worth $73 billion and it's estimated to grow 2.6% annually through 2023. So even though we're in our bubbles, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're in this bubble too of trying to fight diet culture, it's still rampant out there and it's growing. So it's important to know that. And this really is not just about the nutrition. We need to be the models for our children to see that different bodies are all beautiful and acceptable, and we can have a loving relationship with food with our kids that is both loving and disciplined. So love and discipline are going to be the foundation of all of this. And I think this is funny because this is also self-love to me as well. Self-love can be loving, but also structured and disciplined. It doesn't mean that by loving ourselves or loving our children that we can do whatever we want. So that's important to note. So I want to read this note from Ellen Satter, who's that amazing author that I got a lot of this research from. Eating is more than deciding what and how much to eat. Feeding is more than choosing food and getting it into a child. Eating and feeding reflect people's histories, their relationships with themselves and with others. Feeding a child is about the connection between parent and child, about trusting or controlling, which side note, that's always what I say for us too. We can either trust or control, about providing or neglecting, about accepting or rejecting. Eating is about the connection with our bodies and with life itself. Eating can be joyful, full of zest and vitality, or it can be fearful, bound by control and avoidance. Think of the energy of those two things. This is my side note again. Joyful, full of zest and vitality that feels good, expansive, open. Fearful, bound by control and avoidance that feels more constricted and just not as great. My mission is to help children and adults be joyful and capable with eating. And that is so beautiful to me. And this also goes for ourselves too, as I've said already. So the fundamentals of feeding kids, policing and restricting intake has been seen in studies to be destructive to the feeding relationship. And when I mention the feeding relationship, I mean the feeding relationship between parent and child. We have to trust our child to eat a quantity that works for them, allow them. And also really important, you need to allow your child to have the body that was meant for them. No exceptions. 
And that is, you know, I think that when we are children, it's much easier to be an intuitive eater because that is our natural sense. It's so hard for us now as adults because of the food system, I think, and how many hyperpalatable foods we have. But also we get so much conditioning that makes it really hard. And especially if we've yo-yo dieted, that can make it really hard for us too. But when children are natural eaters and they don't have that conditioning spread on them, it's pretty easy for them to eat in terms of the quantity, in terms of them stopping eating when it's appropriate for them, in terms of them not having that scarcity around food. So if they have that natural intuitive feeding relationship for themselves and their body's just going to do what it's supposed to do and get to the size that it's meant to. And the problem lies when the child has the body, they're living with the body that they are meant to have. And then the parents have an issue with it and the parents restrict and restrict and restrict. And that's when the eating disorders come. That's when the child begins to think that they're messed up, there's something wrong with them, and they begin to internalize that. They begin to restrict themselves even more. They begin to think they're wrong. And that was my story 100% when I was a child. So parents are responsible for three things when it comes to feeding, and children are responsible for two things when it comes to feeding. So parents are responsible for the what, So literally, you are in charge of what actual food to give your children, when, the time that it should be eaten, and where. So is it sitting down at a table, at a restaurant? Children are responsible for how much, so what's the best quantity for them right now, or whether, so do they want to eat or not? And then again, problems arise when we start saying, you need to eat that no matter what, or you can't eat that. Um very, very difficult, I think, to sort of separate those things, but it is very important that you do so and that you start now with your children. So in terms of the feeding dynamic, and the feeding dynamic, again, means the dynamic between the parent and the child. So children must become independent in recognizing hunger, appetite, appetite and fullness, and these are natural. So feeding dynamics between the parent and child are more important than the actual behavior that the child presents. So really the relationship, that's why I've mentioned it so many times, the relationship that you have, the feeding relationship that exists between you and your child and what they feel and the energy that you bring to it is going to be more important than the behavior that your child possesses. So it's important to provide structure but not control. So that's where those responsibilities come in, where you are responsible for something with some structure, again, loving discipline. Structure to me is, you know, providing some some structure and then like giving your child some independence and letting the chips fall in terms of how much they're going to eat and what happens to their body. Control happens when we give structure and then we come in and try to control everything. Hey, you need to be eating this much. Hey, let me take your plate away. Hey, you need to clean your plate. Um, Hey, you need to eat right now. Remember the responsibilities, the division of responsibilities and sort of stay in your lane when it comes to what it is that you're going to do. Do not restrict your child in terms of their hunger, but rather gently guide them and ask questions so they can become better at recognizing their own cues. So you can ask them, 
you know, how does your tummy feel right now? Or if they overate, you can ask them like, hey, you know, this is what happens when, just keep it in mind, this is what happens when maybe we overeat, sometimes we get a stomach ache and then we don't feel well, or we feel a little bit foggy, etc. So restricted feeding, leaving children without any structure can become overwhelming. Most commonly, weight gain is caused by restricted feeding. And again, just so many overlaps between adults too, because typically binging is called caused by restriction. So parents who are obsessed with their child's weight and or giving praise towards thinner bodies end up having children who struggle with food and or eating disorders. Let me say that again. Parents who are obsessed with their child's weight and or giving praise towards thinner bodies end up having children who struggle with food and or eating disorders. And that was my story as well. And why it's important to just have this awareness that if you are having problems with the way that your child is looking outside of health, like I'm not really talking about health right now. I'm talking about the visual picture of your child's body. If the natural body that your child has is causing you to get triggered and then wanting to control Like that's not your child's problem. That is your problem that you need to look at straight in the face so that you can deal with the triggers that are coming up for you and really look at the root cause of it. Because so many of the things that parents put on their children has nothing to do with the child. It has to do with the parent and expectations that they might have for their child. And then when their child has displayed something different, that's when that trigger comes in and it's, and the control and the restriction, which causes a whole bunch of potential problems. So we want a child's weight to become a natural side effect of their natural eating practices rather than a forced outcome. So those division of responsibilities, staying in your own lane, you know, where the weight is a natural side effect of the natural eating practices rather than a forced outcome based off of your control. And I guarantee you that if you're trying to control your child's weight, that it's just going to go in the opposite direction and they're going to develop fear around food. So restrained feeding can lead to eating for emotional reasons, which can override intuition because when that happens, that's when we use food to numb out. And again, the more I look at this, the more I see how many parallels there are that when we begin to use food to numb out or to quell our feelings, that's when we're not paying attention to how we actually feel physically and the intuitive nature that we can have with regard to our appetite and our fullness level. So we need to keep our children believing that the value for them lies outside of the body. So do not place your child's value on their body. Compliment intangible features. You're so smart. You work so hard. You were incredibly kind to that woman at the store today. You are valuable. You have a beautiful brain and you are so caring. Do not scrutinize your own body or others' bodies in front of your children. So important. You know, I come from a Latin family and I think in Latin culture, this just is a topic of conversation constantly and it is not okay to do that, especially in front of children, because then in front of a young age, they learn 
that, oh no, if that person has that, their body and you're criticizing them, that means that body is bad or wrong. And what happens to me if I end up looking like that later? So just don't talk about bodies. Don't talk about other people's bodies. Don't talk about, don't scrutinize your own. Don't say bad things about other people's bodies in front of your children. It is not good to do that. You also need to trust. A big part of this process is trusting and trusting and being comfortable with yourself and what you do and your child and then letting the chips fall where they may. So trust that your loving guidance and gentle structure will allow them to have the body they were meant to have. So movement, like eating, movement should be a natural and spontaneous thing that feels good rather than a chore. So encouraging your child to move because they need to lose weight is much different than encouraging them to move just because it feels good. So if you say, hey, Susie, you know, you need to go run outside because you ate so much at lunch today. Um, That's common (laughs) for people to say that, I think, sometimes, maybe not as much now. But if you say, hey, Susie, let's go on a run because it's going to make us feel joyful. It's going to make us feel alive. Or maybe if Susie's in a bad mood and then you say, hey, let's just go for a walk outside because it's going to clear your head. It makes you feel great. So, you know, really pull that those emotions out of your children as they feel better after they move you know, recognize that in them and acknowledge the fact like, Hey, didn't that, didn't that run feel amazing in your body? Don't you feel so much happier now? Because it is a real thing that we feel good after exercise. So allow them to recognize that moving your body can make a huge difference in how we feel both mentally and physically. So I think the theme here is to stay relaxed, but also firm. And that's where that loving discipline comes in. So don't be afraid to develop family food rules not controlling rules, but this is really gentle structure. So sweets only after dinner, no grazing in between meals, meals have set times, eating together as a family practice. And again, this is where that division of responsibility comes up where like you are responsible for for certain things and the child is responsible for certain things. And structure can be great. This is why I have even in for adults, even, even talking about adults and coaching other women, structure matters and structure can be good. So if I just even, and even for children too, if I just ate what I wanted to eat all day, which is like bagels and chocolate, um, and maybe cheese and crackers, like I'm not going to feel that great. So having structure both around my meal frequency and what's contained in those actual meals, depending on my activity level is important. Sometimes you can bend the rules a little bit because children need to be able to make decisions on their own and not only when you are around. So you want these guidelines for them to be ingrained and you don't want them to just be putting on a show for you. That way when they go to other people's houses, they can say like, oh my God, let's go raid your pantry because I'm not at home and my mom doesn't let me have sweets only after dinner. So let's just have them now. So we want these things to be ingrained in them and we want to teach them why we're having those guidelines. Nothing will turn off the kid other than you being in a frantic state. So be sure be sure that you stay relaxed and calm throughout this process and trust that your efforts will pay off. And remember that a lot of this process is modeling the behavior. So more is caught than taught. So make sure that you exemplify these 
you know, behaviors and uh, principles to your children around the way you speak to yourself and about yourself, the way that you exercise and move, the way that you eat, the fact that you eat vegetables and fruits and proteins. Like my dad used to wake up and still to this day, wakes up every single day and goes and moves his body every day. And that is why a huge part of the reason why I do that most days, I did not work out today, but most days it is just what I do. And from the time I was a baby, I would see him waking up, lacing his shoes, stretching and going out for a run and then maybe doing some sit-ups and push-ups. And you guys know that my dad strength trained with me when I was in Miami. I did give him my weight set and he is using that weight set. I don't really know what he does with it or what exercises he does, but I'm just glad that he's using it and he's still continuing that strength practice. So this is just sort of touching the surface on this stuff, but I hope just this provided you with a lot of guidelines that you can start with. I suggest that you dive deeper into the work of Alan Satter if you want to know more. Let's talk now about the cooking aspect and sort of the modifications that we can use to make, you know, feeding easier on the kids. So you can use fun foods like skewers, tacos, wraps, and you can add your own toppings. Many many versions of foods work well. So maybe like a little frittata or a mini burger. Limit spices and acidity. Those are the two things that kids really don't like because it's a little bit like puckering and pungent and obviously spicy and so forth. So you can allow them to add spices and seasonings on their own. Also, don't give up. Sometimes it takes up to 15 exposures for a kid to make a real yes or no decision about a food. So ask for them to try one bite. Don't put pressure for them to try pressure on them to try the whole thing and maintain your stance, just keep going and keep trying. So also get them interested in the process. So at the ask them what they like, involve them in the cooking process. If you can, grow small pots of herbs, vegetables, or fruits at home so they can get really close to the whole process. Take them to the grocery store or farmer's market and show them the beautiful bounty and variety. And you could even do this when you get home from the grocery store or you get your groceries delivered and they don't come with you, just show them what's available and maybe take them to a garden, take them to, you know, even just Home Depot where they could see, like, it doesn't have to be this huge fancy outing, like literally at Target, show them, hey, look at these seeds. This is what grows into a tomato. Just get them educated on the process of what it is like to grow from a seedling and what happens with foods coming from the earth. So some cooking tools that you can give your kids that can help them through this process. So a small knife is wonderful, not, you know, a huge knife, but they do sell knives on Amazon specifically for kids that do cut. I had a client in Miami who had four beautiful girls and they would cook with me sometimes if they were home from school and they loved it. Only one of them was old enough to use the knife. She was 10. So the others, I would have them do other stuff that I will talk about in a moment. But she would chop like onions and garlic and stuff with that small knife. So it does cut. 
A whisk is great. Measuring cups, measuring spoons, uh, citrus press, spoons and spatulas for them to mix stuff up, ladles to serve, and a vegetable peeler. So what are some tasks that um, the children can do that you can help involve or that you can involve them in the process? So using their clean hands, I always say that hands are the best tools, even Jacques Pepin. Uh, one of my earliest cooking influences and cooking teachers always used to say that that's the best tool. Just make sure their hands are clean, have them wash them in front of you, and then just have them get dirty with their hands. They can always wash them later. Cracking or whisking eggs, chopping veggies or fruits, mixing batter or pouring batter, pressing buttons on appliances. So I know the kids that I used to teach like loved pressing the button on a blender or a food processor or setting the oven to a certain temperature, uh, tossing vegetables in a salad with their hands, even um, ripping greens or herbs, so romaine, spinach, basil, cilantro, and thyme, like removing the leaves from a thyme stem. Um, Give them, if the child can read, you can give them a really simple recipe, maybe for a spice blend or a salad dressing or something. And they love measuring stuff out. Just set the ingredients out for them if they're not accessible to them and just give them a recipe or dictate the recipe to them. And they love doing that. Mixing meatballs, burgers, or meatloaf. Surprisingly, (laughs) this was a thing that kids loved doing the most just really getting their hands dirty with ground meat or like coating chicken like raw chicken in a marinade or something they loved it again just be sure to wash your hands afterwards and before adding marinades to proteins or slicing proteins too they loved that um that is all i have for you guys today so the resources that i can give you now are ellen satter l-e-l-l-y-n S-A-T-T-E-R. I also like Dana Suchow. You can find her on Instagram. I'm going to link these in the show notes. There's also Feeding Littles on Instagram. And my friend Christy Ortega, like I mentioned, at beyondwords.speechandfeeding on Instagram. But again, check out the show notes for these resources. Follow these Instagram accounts. Really take the time to make sure that your kids have a good relationship with food. Don't give up. It is something that can positively or negatively affect them for the rest of their lives. So it is very important. And I hope you all found this episode useful. Don't forget to sign up for that nutrition audit if you would like to speak to me on the phone. And I really look forward to talking to you guys next week. Also, this is episode 95. What? I can't believe that we are five episodes away from 100. I just yelled that into the microphone. (laughs) Starting this podcast was one of the best things I ever did. I cannot believe that we've done 95 episodes. I can't believe we're going to be at 100 episodes. I will be doing a special Q&A, Ask Me Anything for that episode, and just reflecting on what these past 100 have been. So stay tuned for that, but I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I love you guys. Thank you for listening and for sticking with me here today. Thank you so much for listening to Heart Food Podcast. I'm so grateful that you tuned in today. If these episodes resonate with you, it would be a huge favor to me if you could share it with the people you love and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. 